Let's take the Word of God this evening and turn uh, with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 2, the book of Exodus uh, chapter 2. When we come to the New Testament, the Bible says that all the things that were written before, they were written for our learning. And so when we um, you know, study through uh, the books of the Old Testament, certainly we find um, you know, the doctrine of God, and we can teach uh, from the book, but we also have, for example, in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, uh, a historical account, a narrative, uh, but it's most instructive to us, and we learn some things by those experiences, uh, and so we are taught here, and we're going to continue in our study of the book of Exodus, and the theme of the book, if you remember, we, we know the book is the book of the Exodus, where the children of Israel... Um, you know, um, were redeemed out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, and uh, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, uh, the Lord reminds them, He says, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto Myself. And uh, I guess that's the theme of the book of Genesis. God brought them out unto Himself so that they would be with Him. And uh, we're continuing in our study with that theme in mind. And we come to chapter 2. And as we looked at chapter 1, we know that it's, um, we have a, a transition from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus. And uh, we see that the uh, 12 tribes of Israel are in Egypt and they've multiplied and they've grown. As a response, the Egyptian king uh, tried to uh, bring their numbers down. He did so uh, by a number of ways, but by putting them in bondage, by putting burdens on them. Uh, the Bible talks about putting grievous burdens or grievous bondage on them. And then finally, the more they were afflicted, the Bible says, the more they multiplied and grew. And then finally, he tried to get uh, some of the Hebrew midwives to uh, kill the uh, sons of uh, the Hebrew uh, women, and they would not do it because they feared God. And so then, finally, the king makes a proclamation at the end of chapter 1 by saying that all sons have to be thrown in the river, the Nile River, and doesn't say the Nile River, but we assume that's the river that's there in Egypt, and uh, for them to be uh, cast into death. And so now we come to chapter 2. We come to chapter 2, and this is the, the birth of Moses. Now, that is a significant person in, uh, if you think about uh, the Scriptures, Moses stands as one of the, the prominent uh, persons in the Bible. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's true both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. As we uh, think about Moses, I was reading a few things about Moses, and one Bible student said this, he said, From Adam to Christ, there is no greater than Moses. He is one of the few characters of Scripture whose course is sketched from his infancy to his death. The fierce light of criticism has been turned upon him for generations, but he is still the most commanding figure of the ancient world. In character, in faith, in unique position assigned him as the mediator of the Old Covenant, and in achievements he stands first among the heroes of the Old Testament. All of God's early dealings with Israel were transacted through Moses. And that is true. All of God's early dealings with Israel were transacted through Moses. He was a prophet, a priest, and a king in one person. And so united all of the great and important functions 
which later were distributed among the plurality of persons. Uh, the history of such, and one is worthy of the strictest attention, his remarkable life deserves the closest study. I was reading another one, uh, one talking about the life of Moses. The Bible, he said in, the, in that commentary, the life of Moses presents a series of striking antithesis. He was the child of a slave and the son of a queen. He was born in a hut and lived in a palace. He inherited poverty and enjoyed unlimited wealth. He was the leader of armies and the keeper of flocks. He was the mightiest of warriors and the meekest of men. He was educated in the court and dwelt in the desert. He had the wisdom of Egypt and the faith of a child. He was fitted for the city and wandered in the wilderness. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin and endured the hardships of virtue. He was backward in speech, and yet he talked with God. He had the rod of a shepherd, but the power of the infinite. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh and an ambassador from heaven. He was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. He died alone in Mount Moab and appeared with Christ in Judea. No man assisted at his funeral, yet God buried him. That's a summary of the life of Moses, and his life begins right here in chapter 2. The Bible says in chapter 2 of verse 1, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could, not, she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags... She sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. No doubt appealing here to a mother's compassion. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away, and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. I'd like to bring your attention to verse 2 of Chapter 2, where the Bible says that the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. I want you to keep your hand right there and turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we have a mention of this very verse in Hebrews 11. And I want you to notice with me, down in verse 23. So Hebrews 11, notice verse 23. We think about, as I just described, 
Uh, Moses, who stands probably as one of the most prominent characters of Old Testament history, and uh, before Moses came along, though he had parents, and that's a good thing for all children to remember, they have parents. So before you came along, people lived before you did. They've experienced life before you, and it's good to know uh, that and to acknowledge that. And so here, before we go and to talk about Moses, uh, God is going to let us know about his parents. Notice uh, Hebrews 11, verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I want you to notice those two words, first words of verse 23, by faith. By faith. As we turn back to the book of Exodus in chapter 2, we read the narrative of what happened in the birth, the events surrounding the birth of Moses, and we see what the parents of Moses did. Now that's Amram and Jochebed. They're named later. They're not named here, but they're named later in the Bible. We know that he had uh, two siblings. We know of one Aaron, who was a brother who was older than him, about three years older than he was, and then Miriam, which was the eldest child of the family. And so in this text, though, we don't know their name, but one thing that the Bible tells us that God wants us to know is what they did here in in Exodus chapter 2, they did by faith. And as we just leave chapter 1, we come into chapter 2. Here's the message tonight. Faith in troublesome times. Faith in troublesome times. You know, sometimes as we come to the Bible narrative, we may read the Bible as we do all other books. I, we, as our family, we read every night around the dinner table. Sometimes I'll read a missionary biography, or uh, sometimes we have a, a book that uh, out, uh, it's called Imagination Station. It's you know Christian characters and. They teach good principles to children. So I read that. And so uh, it's, a, you know, it's a story, some of those. Now the missionary biographies, those are real, real accounts. But uh, some of the books we read that are trying to impart character traits are not necessarily real. They just communicate uh, some good truths, character truths to children. And so we like to read those. And sometimes we may read the Bible as you know, just kind of like another book. But what we have to remember is this really happened. And both Amram and Jochebed, when Moses came along, they lived in troublous times. And the Bible gives us a summary of what was happening in that day, that they were not afraid of the king's commandments, that they saw the child, that he was a goodly child, well favored. But the Bible gives us some insight into uh, what was going on spiritually in the lives of Amram and Jochebed. And the Bible tells us that they did what they did by faith. But what is most compelling is that they had faith in troublous times. And I think we can learn some things this evening uh, from this account here in Exodus chapter 2. I want us to consider three things tonight. uh, And uh, I'll give you all points and then I'll I'll go ahead and expound on those. We're going to look first of all as we consider our study of Exodus 2. We're going to look at the unfavorable circumstances of their faith. The truth is when we see their faith... The circumstances were not favorable. Then we're going to look at the unwavering conduct of their faith. Although it was, uh, you know, unfavorable, they had an unwavering faith in God and His Word. And then lastly, we're going to look at the unfathomable comfort of their faith. 
So notice, first of all, as we look at our text, let's consider the unfavorable circumstances of their faith. In verse 1, the Bible mentions here that there was a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now, Moses' parents here are not named, but we know their names, Amram and Jochebed. And I want you to notice as we think about the unfavorable circumstances surrounding his birth, first of all, we see that his birth occurred at an inconvenient time. If we think about the, the history of uh, the children of Israel, and the, particularly the Hebrew uh, uh, people in the land of Egypt, this is the worst time to be born in Hebrew history with them dwelling in Egypt. Now you remember when they first went into Egypt, they were given the best part of the land. Uh, they, that, that was where they grew and they multiplied themselves. And the Bible tells us in chapter 1 that they became very mighty. And so we see here that things have been going well, but lately things are not going well. As a matter of fact, the king's command was that all the uh, sons that were to be born were to be killed. So we would say that that's a bad time for a son to be born. And so his birth occurred at an inconvenient time. I, 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 we have to put ourselves in their shoes. I would imagine that if you knew of the king's commandment, you would, be, you would feel better if when they didn't have ultrasounds then. But you would feel better when the child would come out that it would be a girl. That's just how you would feel. Why? Because you know that she wouldn't have to die. But the fact that Moses was born would uh, bring about immediate trepidation on those parents where they would think, what are we going to do? They certainly thought about uh, either way, whether it's a boy or a girl. Uh, if it's a girl, we're fine. But what if it's a boy? We, we have to think about what we're going to do. And so his birth occurred at an inconvenient time. We know that the children of Israel had been mistreated. We, we studied through chapter 1. You remember when Pharaoh saw that uh, the children of Israel multiplied and they grew... He, he was afraid that they would become mightier than them. And uh, we see here that the king of Egypt decided to do three things. There was really three steps that he did to try to uh, cause the children of Israel uh, to not be as, I guess, as many of them and as powerful as they were. We see that the first thing he did in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 is that he tried burdens. He tried putting burdens on them. Verse 11 of chapter 1, he says, Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasured cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, more, uh, uh, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And so we see they, they began just by trying to put burdens on them. They put taskmasters and they said, all right, uh, you want to remain in the land of Egypt? You're going to build us cities and uh, you're going to basically uh, be slaves for us. And here's an assignment. You're going to build uh, the city of Ramses and you're going to build the treasure city of Pithom. And they did so. But, but they saw here, the Bible tells us, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So that didn't work. Step number 2, verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. 
All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And so they put even a greater burden on them. Uh, that idea of the word rigor means to basically they wanted to crush them. They wanted to make their affliction and burden so heavy uh, that, uh, that they would just die and give up and quit or, or even might leave the land. And so we see that that didn't work either. And so finally, step number three from verse 15 to verse 22, we see that they tried bloodshed. So the king tried to put burdens on them. That didn't work. He tried to put bitter bondage on them. That didn't work. And then now he's trying bloodshed. Uh, again, the first attempt, he, the midwives were instructed by the king to kill the sons and to keep the daughters alive. And uh, that didn't work since the Bible tells us that the midwives, they feared the Lord. And so then in the very last two verses of chapter 1, uh, the king has a second attempt. The king gave an order, basically, or we could say a proclamation. Uh, let's put it this way, an executive order, that all the sons born were to be cast into the river. Now, now the, the, the question here is asked, well, why would the sons be killed and the daughter be preserved? Well, remember, he's trying to either stamp them out or to make them... Uh, less mighty than themselves. Now the question asks is, why were the daughters allowed to live, uh, but not the sons? Well, I think there, there's really a twofold purpose uh, in eliminating the son. First of all, it would prevent the Hebrews from bearing children in the future. Uh, men having the ability to even fight would be eliminated. That would be uh, one thing that it would do. But secondly, the king wanted to do away with the Hebrew men so that also that the women would not bear seed or even uh, intermarry possibly with even the Egyptians and that would kind of decimate the Hebrew children. So there's really a twofold purpose and we know that uh, here that uh, was not successful but we see here that that is the circumstances where Moses was born and so his birth occurred at an inconvenient time. Uh, they were mistreated but also if you think about it on a spiritual level the, the children of Israel had been misled and this is an important a point to remember that when we find the children of Israel, they're not doing well spiritually. Uh, now we know that they're enslaved, but if you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 20, we, we gain some insight into the spiritual condition in Israel in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse, uh, verses 6 and 7. Notice Ezekiel 20, verse 6, In the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land that I had despised for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So what we know is that not only was it an inconvenient time because they were mistreated, but it was not really a convenient time for Moses to be born at that time because the children of Israel had been misled. Uh, they had began to believe and accept the gods of the Egyptians and certainly they had been there for, they would end up being here for 400 years. That's a long time. And so some of the Egyptian influence uh, was, uh, uh, was really uh, uh, took place uh, in the Hebrew camp. And so the, the historical setting here is not only is, is, it, is it bad physically for them to live there, but it is bad spiritually. When we read in the book of Hebrews that both uh, the parents of Moses, by faith, they did what they did, 
Understand that I believe most of the people in Israel did not have that faith. As a matter of fact, we're going to find that uh, the Bible says there was a, a mixed multitude that went with them when they left the land of Egypt. And so the birth occurred here at an inconvenient time. But can I, I pause and say this here? Why am I saying that? I can say that. <laughs> God always wants to intervene at inconvenient times. That's just the truth. When things are not going well, that's when God wants to do a work. And God is doing the work here. And so we see His birth occurred at an inconvenient time, but we also see that His birth occurred... In an ill-favored tribe. If you notice verse 1 tells us, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. Now, uh, we, we think about, alright, Levi is one of the twelve tribes of, uh, of Israel, and so what's the big deal? Well, do you remember the last thing we heard about Levi? We're here in Exodus chapter 2. What's the last thing we heard about Levi? It's Genesis 49. Turn there. Notice Genesis 49, just a few pages, one page for me uh, on your left-hand side. In Genesis 49, verse 5, Jacob is about to die, and he gave his, gives his final words to his uh, sons. And he's going to talk about Simeon and Levi in verse 5 through 7. And this is what he says about Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret... Unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Now you remember later, we know that Levi, the tribe of Levi, would not be given a portion of land. They would be divided, and we know that they were part of the Levitical priesthood, so they would do service in the temple, and they would have different courses who would alternate among themselves. But the point is, they were not given a portion of the land. Uh, we know that Simeon ends up being swallowed up by the tribe of Judah, and Levi was scattered about. And so, the last thing we know about the tribe of Levi is this, cursed. That's what we know about Levi. When we get to chapter 2, Moses was born from the tribe of Levi. It's not a wonderful thing to think that although they were cursed because of their wickedness, that God was still willing to use them. And that God was willing to raise up a deliverer out of the tribe of Levi. That's a wonderful thing. And so, we see here that the unfavorable circumstances of the faith of those parents because his birth occurred at an inconvenient time, but also his birth occurred in an ill-favored tribe. And the reason why I say that is because when they looked at Moses and they did what they did by faith, they probably could have said, well, we're just from the tribe of Levi. We're a cursed people. We know our, what our descent, our father did. And so we're going to, the Bible, the, the, the proclamation, we're going to, we're going to be scattered. And we're, we're a cursed tribe. They didn't say that. They live by faith, and so their faith here, we see uh, uh, the unfavorable circumstances of their faith. And here's what we learn is that often we might think that we would do better as Christians to walk by faith if there was no obstacles in our lives. And that simply is just not the truth. 
As a matter of fact, it seems to me that when there are obstacles, that that challenges our faith, develops our faith, and increases our faith. And that's exactly what we find here. And so we see the unfavorable circumstances of their faith. Don't let what's going on in the world trouble you. Allow those things to increase your faith. So we see the unfavorable circumstances of their faith, but then secondly, we get to the details of chapter 2, we see the unwavering conduct of their faith. So it's not the best of time to exercise your faith, but they did so, and now we look at the unwavering conduct of their faith. What did they do that shows us them exercising their faith? And so notice verse 2, the Bible says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, verse 2, And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took uh, for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. Now, as we see here, uh, there's uh, words that we find the Bible says in verse 2. She saw him. Now remember, Hebrews 11, by faith, they saw that he was a proper child. So when they looked at Moses, when the Bible says here in Exodus 2.2, she saw him, she saw him through the eyes of faith. That's what she saw. Uh, The Bible then tells us, uh, verse 3, she took him. And then, again in verse 3, She laid him. There's three things that we see here about the unwavering conduct of their faith. First of all, the Bible says she saw him. By faith, she saw him. That's perception. You know, by faith, when we believe God and His Word, by faith, you know what happens? We see clearer. We see things better. We perceive better things, uh, things better by faith. We not only see her perception, she saw him, but then the Bible says she took him. That's a decision. And so the conduct of her faith is the perception she has by faith. She saw him. Then the decision, she took him. She, she's going to, she, she, she couldn't hide him anymore. It had been three months, and, and, and we all know what that means. The children, they grow up and they get louder. That's just the truth. You know, it's uh, when we, we had our first, and, uh, you know, they, they begin crying at night, and it's, you can't sleep. But then it gets, I think the Lord designed it this way, but it gets louder over time. I think it's so that you can have a period of adjustment. You know, and as they grow, the lungs develop, and it gets louder and louder and louder. And then when we had our second child, Adeline, uh, then, you know, she was so small again, we forgot how small they were when they came out. And then when she's crying at night, and it's like, oh, it's so cute, you can't barely hear it. Why? Because the other big one, now he's got the full lungs, But then that begins to develop. And so we understand here that it gets to the place where she can't hide the child anymore. He's he's too loud. He's probably uh, active. And he's, uh, you know, you can't conceal him anymore. And so she has to do something. But she did what she made a decision by faith. By faith. The Bible also tells us uh, in verse verse 3 that she laid him in the flags by the river's brink. That is faith. What is that? That's resignation. Not, I don't know what to do. It's I'm going to do this and then now I'm going to release it to God 
That's resignation, trusting God. You see, that's faith. Now, she, she didn't know what would happen. We know what happened. But she did what she did by faith. So think about those three things. Faith gives us perception. Faith helps us to make a decision. And faith also allows us to make a resignation. When we have done all that we can do, we say, God, you have to do the rest. That's faith. I, I, I don't know what else to do. I've done all I could. I've put the baby in the ark, put bulrushes, put him in the flags. God, I, I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to lay him here. I'm going to resign him. I'm going to give him over to you because there's nothing within my power that I can do anymore. She did it out of faith. Now as we look here at this account, we know that uh, the Bible says here in verse 2 and 3, it, it singles, at, now singles out Jacob because it says here, the woman conceived, bear a son, and she saw him, uh, that he was a goodly child. She hid him three months uh, she could not no longer hide him. She took for him the ark. She put him there. And so we understand here the narrative is that's what she did. But we understand if you turn with me, well, we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. So this was not just Jochebed doing this on her own. Amram was involved. Uh, they both made that decision and it was a faith decision. They both saw uh, that he was a proper child. They both were not afraid of the king's commandment. Even in Stephen's sermon, you remember when Stephen preaches in Acts chapter 7, in verse 20 he says this, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house. So we know that they were both involved. There was, there was a step of faith for both Amram and Jochebed. You see, by faith they saw that he was a proper child or a goodly child. Uh, by faith they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Think about those two things. They saw he was a proper child. Now, we think here about, the, well, the, the word goodly here or well-favored means, well, he was, he was cute and good-looking. And, and I want us to think here for just a moment that, you know, all the children are, are different, but when your child is born, they're all cute. When they're your children, he's like, man, that's just wonderful. It's, it's a miracle. Look at this, this little boy or this little girl, and, and then we, we begin to compare them. Oh, they have this, and your nose, and your eyes, and all those things. And we, we, we do that. And so when we read here, when they saw he was a goodly child, I don't think that what they're thinking is, wow, he's a good-looking child. We better preserve him. As if, well, he's not good-looking, so we're going to throw him in the river. I don't think that's what we're talking about. Remember Hebrews 11, by faith. By faith. Faith in what? I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Faith in what? Faith that Moses was supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, more privileged than anybody else? I mean, what, what is their faith in? Uh, as we study the Word of God here, we see the parents of Moses acted, they both acted, their response and their action was based upon uh, faith, I believe, and not feeling. And what I mean by that is, like I said, it's not like if the child was ugly, they would have said, let's throw him in the river. No, there, there's something going on that, that is uh, much more than that. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God. Okay, so they have faith. They did what they did by faith. 
So that means the Word of God at some measure has to be involved for them to act upon this faith. You're absolutely right. Let, let me turn with me. Let's go through a little journey. Turn with me to Exodus 13. Okay, so Exodus 13, the children of Israel are about to head out of the land of Egypt. And notice what the Bible tells us, Exodus 13. Now this is after the ten plagues and all that. We'll get there. But I want you to notice one verse here, Exodus 13, verse 19. And Moses took the bones of who? Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Okay, so when they're leaving, they're going to take the bones of Joseph with them, because Joseph made them swear, one day God is going to visit you, and I want you to take my bones with you. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 50. All right, turn back to Genesis chapter 50. Notice, uh, so Joseph here, he dies. Uh, Genesis chapter 50. Notice with me verse 25, the last two verses of the book of Genesis. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died with 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, we say, okay, so Joseph told the children of Israel, I want you to swear that when God visits you, you take my bones with you because my body doesn't belong here, it belongs there. Okay? Is there any basis for what Joseph said? We know that's what they did, but is there any basis for what Joseph said? There is. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. Now, uh, the Lord here in Genesis 15 is speaking to Abraham. And uh, notice what he tells him. Genesis 15. Notice verse 13. So Genesis 15, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Okay, that's Abraham. That's hundreds of years here before uh, this, any of this happened. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. By the way, go to Exodus 12, 13. That's exactly what happened. And was 400 years. So God, divine revelation, said something to Abraham. Joseph knew it was going to happen and so by faith, he said, when you leave, when God visits you, take my bones with you. You need a promise. And they did. And then later when they leave, they do exactly what the promise was. Is it conceivable that Amram and Jochebed believed in that promise? Then when they looked at the child, they, they thought to themselves, well, God is going to visit us, and, and by faith, we're going to, God is going to visit us, and He's going to bring it out, out of this land. This is what God has said to our father Abraham. Joseph made a swear, and here we're hastening to the day when we are going to be visited because it's almost 400 years, and so by faith, we're going to obey God. You see, what I'm saying is when the Bible says they saw he was a proper child, they may not understood everything that God had in store for Moses, but they looked at him, not with emotions, but based upon the Word of God. They thought to themselves, God has said something will happen, and we believe it's going to happen. So we see the unwavering conduct of their faith 
Not based on feelings, but based on faith. It is interesting to note that it was, uh, notice with me in verse 3, when she could not, no, not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now, it's interesting here that uh, this is just try to, me just thinking logically, okay, that the children were supposed to be thrown in the river. Right? And, and so I'm thinking here that shouldn't she have taken the child anywhere but the river? Right? I mean, we would think that far, as far away from the place of death. But no, the Bible says she put him in an ark. Now, it's interesting that uh, the, the ark here, um, the word ark is only used in reference to two things in the Old Testament. First of all, Noah's Ark, which is repeatedly mentioned in Genesis uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And this, the only second time, or only seventh, uh, second thing that it references is this Ark here, twice in verse 3, and then again in verse 5. Uh, and so it's interesting here that, right, uh, basically God brought Noah into the Ark and his family, and they were saved from what? The place of death. And so in the same way, Moses was placed in an Ark, and, all, and he was saved from the place of death. No, there's a little picture of Christ there. Because we are saved also from the place of death. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and it is because of His death that we are saved. We are saved from the place of death. Now Moses certainly is not Christ, should not be compared to Christ, but there are many ways in which we can see how he pictures Christ and many of the things that we find happening in his life. So we see here the unwavering conduct of their faith, but I want to bring your attention to one last thing in our text, and that is the unfathomable comfort of their faith. Uh, I use the word unfathomable purposefully. I know it sounds nice, but, but I, I just remember the beginning of the chapter. They hid him three months. The king's command is to kill all the sons, to throw them in the river, and so she's done her best for three months to hide the child, and so uh, out, of, out of faith, she's going to do one more thing by her, really, her perception, she's going to make a decision, she's going to, uh, to tr entrust her child in the hands of God, not knowing what God is going to do, and the blessing she's going to get in return for that is unfathomable. I don't think she expected what's about to happen. Now what happens? Well, let's look at it. The Bible says in verse 4, And his sister, that's Miriam, we don't know her name here, but we know later, that's Miriam, and his sister stood afar off to wit what should be done to him. So, now remember, they're acting by faith. Uh, the Bible doesn't say she was there to see how he would die. What's going to become of him? I think there's an expectation there. What is God going to do? We're trusting him. We've resigned it to God. We, we don't know what else to do. It's outside of our hands, but we're, we're trusting God. So let's find out what God's going to do. Let's, there's an expectation of faith there. Verse 5, and the daughter of Pharaoh. Let me just use one word here. Providence. Providence. Out of all the people in Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter comes on the scene. 
She came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now remember, her father is the one who said to kill the sons, to throw them in the river. But she has compassion on the child. Uh, she, she looks at the child and the Bible says the baby wept. <laughs> well, I think that any mother would understand that when the child is crying, and look, three months, that's young. And so it appeals to, to, to her compassion. And, and, and by the way, let me just say a side note here. Uh, that's why it is so troubling what we find going on in our world. It is very troublesome when our world loses all sense of compassion that people are advocating for things like partial birth abortion. It's unattainable. Can't have to think about my own children to think about doing that to one of my children. She has compassion on him. She's a heathen. How degraded does a society have to become where even heathen typically don't act that way. I must hasten here. The Bible says, verse 7, Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? Now think about, you know, Miriam, she's an older sister, not sure the age. We know Aaron was about three years older. Miriam was the eldest uh, of the, the children, and so... I don't know how old she is, but this is pretty remarkable. She she takes it upon herself to go to Pharaoh's daughter, and she knows that Pharaoh's daughter is not going to nurse the child. Typically, a a king's daughter or wife would not nurse the child. They would have servants do that for them. They didn't do that themselves. Typically, they would have um, uh, uh, slaves in their courts or servants that would get pregnant at the same time as the queen or the queen's daughter, so that when they had children, they could both nurse their child and the king's child. And so uh, Miriam knows this, so she, she goes and she asks, uh, do you need me to go get a Hebrew woman that uh, she may nurse the child for thee? And then verse, verse 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. <laughs> what? What? Can you imagine? I, I don't, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of Miriam here. Can you imagine the thrill of that moment? Go, 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 go get her. And the maid went and called the child's, who? Mother, Jacobed. Marion goes to the house, says, Mom, you never guess what happens. Pharaoh's daughter came to the river to wash herself and she found she found my little brother. And so I just asked her if she needed somebody, some, somebody to nurse her. And so she told me to go. And so, do you want to nurse your child? Do you think the answer would be yes? <laughs> and the Bible says, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Thou, That's Jacob, so she's speaking to the mother. So, I don't know how all the details happened, if it was later, instantly at that moment on that day, but Jacobet goes and meets Pharaoh's daughter, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, 
take this child away. Now, I, I don't know whether Pharaoh's daughter knew that that was her mother. We don't know. Nothing is said about that. But, and the Bible says here, and she wants Jacoba to nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. Now, I think all mothers would sign up for that. <laughs> I get to do what I normally do and get paid for it? And so, the Bible says, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and, he, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. I don't know how old Moses was. The Bible says he grew, perhaps, you know, some, some of the uh, Hebrew uh, women nurse their child at least till three, sometimes all the way up till twelve. It could mean the name 12, not the nursing, but the name, the, the age 12, when he, he, he has grown, 12 would be he's become a young man now, and so we've, uh, we've trained him, we've instructed him. So I don't know how long she had with Moses, but we know this, she had a, a long enough time to teach him the right things. How do we know that? Because when he got all that he wanted in Egypt, the Bible says he chose the reproaches of God's people than the riches of Egypt. It tells us that Jochebed must have taught him something. So I, I would see chapter 2 here as the unfathomable comfort of their faith. Now remember, the comfort of their faith didn't come until we see the conduct of their faith. Perception, Decision, resignation. You see, I believe that last part is important because often we're willing to trust God, but often we're not willing to release things to God. We just got to hold on to Him. No, no, I, I got to do something. I, I got I to push through this. I got I to make this happen. And sometimes we make a mess of things. But when they, she laid Him, she resigned Him to God, then she was able to see what God was able to do. You see, if she never released him to God, she would not have been able to see what God did. So she released him to God, and God comforted her in an unfathomable way. Can you imagine the emotions from the moment she laid him to the moment Miriam came and says, Pharaoh's daughter wants you to nurse the child. Can you imagine the peace and the comfort? And by the way, in Egypt, it's still bad. Isn't it still bad? They're still slaves. Children are still being thrown in the river. And we know that a good portion of the Israelites did, did not have faith in God. Many of them probably threw their own children in the river. But here's one family. One family with faith, an unwavering faith in God. With a conduct demonstrating their faith. And here in the midst of all this chaos, of all the pain, of all the affliction... Of all the bloodshed around them, God is able to comfort and bring peace to them because of their faith. And so, may the Lord teach us to, to do the same that both Amram and Jacobah did. We may think, well, when things get easy, then we, we can exercise our faith. The truth is, faith only needs to be exercised when it needs to be exercised. If, if there's no reason to exercise your faith, 
then, but when we need to exercise it, that's exactly what is good for us. The Bible says that the trying of our faith is good. Why? Because it worketh patience. It does things in our lives. It matures us. It grows us. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Jochebed and Amram, do you think that their confidence in God through this increased or decreased? It, it increased. It increased. Why? Because they exercised their faith. Sometimes we may think, well, why, why is my faith in God weak? Well, would you take your weak faith and exercise that? Remember what Jesus said? He that hath faith of the grain of a mustard seed. My mom used to carry a necklace around her neck. It had a grain of a mustard seed. It was the tiniest little thing. It's a tiny little seed. If we have the faith of a grain of mustard, we can move mountains. This is what God said. Now, it's not about the mountain removing. The point is, God is just looking for a little bit of faith to be exercised in Him. And when we exercise a little bit of faith and we can go to the next step and He increases our faith and then we can trust Him more and then we trust Him more and we trust Him more and we keep going. I, I don't know this because obviously we know Moses ends up leaving but I, I don't think that both Amram and Jochebed through seeing what God did after Moses ends up running away for his life that somewhere along the line says, oh, I guess it's over. It's not going to happen then. No, they've seen God work. They've seen what God has done. And they know His promises are coming true. And so may the Lord help us to consider here in this account faith in troublesome times. We need faith in troublesome times.